Recording as I am during the current COVID crisis, I'd just like to remind folks that many hobby producers rely on income from sales at shows and sales to be picked up or delivered at shows. So now's a great time to go ahead and take a look at some of the smaller producers out there and make sure that their sales are continuing through this time. One in particular I'd like to highlight is the two fat lardies. Uh, especially since they are really behind the resurgence in the Kriegspiel movement in particular because we're going to be talking about a Kriegspiel that I ran recently for some friends of mine on this episode. So check them out, twofatlardies.co.uk. They recently had some issues with shipping, but they have got that sorted out. Plus you can always download PDFs anytime, night or day. So. Please do me a favor, go check out Two Fat Lardies, give them your business, I'm sure they'll appreciate it. This is the Veteran Wargamer. This is the Veteran Wargamer, I am your host, Jay Arnold. In this episode... Episode 59, I am joined by previous guest, Nick Nethery. Nick, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you? I'm, you know, things could be a lot worse, all things considered. I'm currently on orders with the National Guard, working the uh, in the plans office to help with our, with the Illinois' response to COVID. Things are going pretty well. And we're joined... Thank you. Uh, we're joined for the first time by fellow gamer and J3 participant, Dave Churchill. Dave, how you doing? I'm doing well, Jay. I'm glad to be here. Great. The topic today is a pre-spiel that I ran. Dave and Nick were the generals of the respective red and blue sides, and we're going to talk about that. But first... We have to ask Dave, since it's his first time on, he's going to get the same question that every new guest gets. Dave, what makes you a veteran wargamer? Ooh, are you ready for an old story? Sure. Um, so on the veteran side, I did 10 years in the Air Force as a firefighter and a hazmat technician. And then, um, well, and that was with the Missouri Air National Guard and the Tennessee Air National Guard. That takes care of the veteran side, but then on the uh, wargaming side, when I was about seven years old, my dad gave me a Tupperware box full of Airfix figures. So uh, probably around eight or nine, I started painting little plastic figures with terrible paint to where it would flake off all the time. And then uh, we got into Avalon Hill board games and Axis and Allies, Risk, we'd have games going for weeks. And then uh, probably about the time I turned 15, I got out of gaming and got into four-wheelers and stuff like that. And then I got in the military, got married, and then got divorced. And when I got divorced is when I got back into wargaming and discovered a whole bunch of... Uh, different rule sets like Saga and Muskets and Tomahawks. And now we're here where I'm playing all the games, it seems like, some days. Yeah. 
So I've been great. Now for those who are paying attention, when we had large summit, our Lardy event at the recruit show this past fall, Dave ran a Charlie don't surf game, which was very well, which was very well received. That was probably in my top five best gaming experiences ever, honestly. Oh, that's cool. And actually, that has special bearing as yesterday was Anzac Day, and the game I ran was the Battle of Long Tan, which the uh, Australians fought against the Viet Cong and the NVA. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it all ties together well. Yeah, really, really brings brings it all around. That's that's really great. Okay, go. well let's let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, I've been wanting to run a creek spiel uh, over Discord for a while. It started when I played in the first, well, my first creek spiel experience was a creek spiel run by the two fat lardies, uh, Nick Skinner and Richard Clark, over Discord, and. That was the airborne game that we talked about in a previous Creature Build episode. I'll link in the show notes. And ever since then, I've wanted to, to run one. And then I played another game that the Lardies ran. And that just increased my desire even more. I put a, put a call out to my J3 Facebook group if anybody would be interested in playing one. And one of the first respondents was our own Nick Nethery. And actually, Nick, you've been waiting quite a while for me to run this Creek Spiel. I think we're probably looking at about six months since I first mentioned it, if not longer. Yeah, I was looking forward to it and um, frankly was worried about having to stay up until all hours because I'm uh, on such a different uh, time zone than you guys. But uh, hey, silver linings. Um, I'm on maximum telework because... <laughs> My supported uh, combatant command pretty much canceled all exercises for the next few months, so uh, we're doing a whole lot of online classes that my guys are griping about, but um, what it means is I don't really have set work hours. I can work whenever, so it was uh, um, I was able to, to get on at weird times. Uh, so, hey, small blessings, you know. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm very, uh, I, was, I was very um, interested in the, the one that you ran, um, candidates and uh so was interested in participating myself yeah i guess i should back up a little bit i did run a live creek spiel for my officer candidates um it was basically a um core versus core in a fictionalized setting a fictionalized acw a fictionalized american civil war setting where it was red versus blue um the Neither side was necessarily the, neither side was necessarily the Confederate forces and or the Union forces, and that seemed to work out well. The candidates really liked it to the point where, when we took our staff ride to Gettysburg, they asked if, they asked if, I was going to run another Kriegspiel for them. Uh, I ended up running, or I didn't run, but the guys from, uh, Little Wars TV ran a, uh, Ultra Freedom game for them and that i'll be talking about that in a, in a future episode with one of the guys that came to help but anyhow um with this discord kriegspiel i decided to go ahead and bring that same setting forward 
uh, including, uh, I went ahead and included a portion, or on a portion of the map, was the area that was included in the in the live creature spiel. Um, if you guys remember the city of Redmond from the Discord creature spiel, that was the setting for the uh, for the live creature spiel I ran. That was in the, nice. the eastern, cool. yeah, the far eastern section of the map. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna continue this setting. I I like the ambiguous ACW setting. Uh, it allows for relatively simple gameplay because there's not a huge amount of variance between the units as far as equipment's concerned. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, some units are going to have varying types of artillery, but really that's it because, you know, by and large, infantry is infantry. There's not a huge difference, you know, with the scale that we're talking, there's not a huge difference between units armed with rifled muskets and units armed with smooth bores. And, you know, there might be some difference in the artillery. There might be differences in relative combat power in regard to the number of troops in a particular unit. But that's, it makes it easy for an umpire because you're not trying to compare, you know, 10 different types of tank and three different types of aircraft and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I can imagine that would be a pain in the butt. Yeah, so... It, it makes it relatively easy. You don't have to do stuff like um, deconflicting airspace, <laughs> you know, because that was a genuine concern in the airborne uh, in the airborne game. Is we had to deconflict our own airspace prior to the prior to the assault, and that was that was a pain to be sure. And I'm sure it would have been a pain for you guys, especially since um, well, neither of you guys had played a a Discord Kriegspiel... Well, actually, no. Dave, I think you might have, right? At that point? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. Oh, was that with the Lardies also? Yes. I played in the uh, counterinsurgency one. Oh, that's right. I keep forgetting that. Yeah, which, was was, your... which is really sad that I keep forgetting that, considering I was your commanding officer in that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was one of your company commanders. So I guess what we could... I guess what we could talk about is what role you guys each played... And some of the challenges that you had going into going into play, uh, Nick, you want to start with that? Yeah, sure, Roger. That uh, I will tell you right away. I was shocked, shocked. I tell you that uh, to be made um, core commander for Red on my first Greek spiel over Discord. Uh, I expected you to 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 you know let me let me have one one iteration with training wheels, but no, you just threw me right in the deep end. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I ended up having, uh, good, uh, division commanders under me. Um, and I didn't really have to worry about, uh, how to array my units too much because that had already been kind of figured out, uh, for me by them and, uh, and, and the umpires. Um, uh, and I got to tell you though, as the game wore on, it really, almost made me wish I was back in a regular army unit. Not quite. Uh, but I, I really um, I really got into it and had a lot of fun with the uh, just the flow of information and and, um, and uh, some things that I'd forgotten about. You know, just normal leadership stuff because my job currently is just so weird. It's not a, not a normal unit at all. So, almost makes me want to go back to the real army. Not quite. Um, the uh, the difficulties I had right away, and this was a frustration that I re never really got um, 
figured out a way to address was uh, just the slowness of communication because this is, like you said, ACW communication is in no way instantaneous. Um, and that was very, uh, I mean, my whole career, I came in right around the time when pretty much instantaneous communication, even over Blue Force Tracker, was possible, you know, in my first unit. Um, and ever since then, I've been, yeah, I, I just, as a, as a leader, I've been used to always having up-to-the-minute information, and it was very, um, very instructive to me to, uh, to have maybe not an accurate communication from my commanders, um, but just, to my mind, severely delayed communication. Um, and I had to send writers and stuff, <laughs> which is, you know, I mean, it's been it's been quite a while since I hollered for a runner, you know, in my career. So um, uh, that was that was just that was interesting to me. Um, and uh, those are, I, I guess, that was those were my first two big impressions. And uh, other than an immediate obsession, which I don't think I ever got over with uh, figuring out how crossable the river was and where, um, mm -hmm. but we can get into that uh, later. Yeah. Um, one thing to note on, one thing to note on communication is that I had intended on being a little bit more realistic with the communication times, and I had and figuring out how far different units were from one another and how long it would take writers to to get, and I had a spreadsheet that that would show, you know, the send, you know, the sender, the intended receiver. Uh, what the message was and when it should be delivered. And that kind of fell apart because that's a lot of information to track. So your, your communication was actually a little bit faster than reality, especially once we sat down to do our, our uh, three-hour active finale. But uh, no, one of the great things about ACW is that in certain circumstances, you could have near instantaneous communication over telegraph. I mean, there's there's still a little bit of little bit of delay in sending and receiving the message and decoding it, and or encoding, sending, receiving, and decoding. And there's always that chance that the guy that's at the key is actually a little bit off on his Morse. But uh, yeah, that was a fun aspect of the game to be sure. And I'm gonna reference the Lardies quite a bit in in this discussion because they're kind of you know they're breaking the ground in this in this fashion they're they're on their seventh or eighth uh discord creek spiel and they are really getting into how the communications work um i think the uh the reconnaissance game that they or at least that nick ran uh nick skinner not nick nethery uh ran recently they really got in the weeds on how radio nets were set up in World War II. And so that, uh, you know, that allows an even deeper appreciation for how, you know, how war was waged at the time. And, and they are using it for instructive purposes to figure out exactly what that looked like. So as we go forward, I would like to maybe get a little bit more into the communication aspect. Um, Dave, what about you? What were some of the first impressions you had with your role as, well, actually you were, you were the assumed blue leader because your actual leader, um, 
I'm not going to shame any shame anybody by name, but uh, Nick, his initials are JP. I think you know who I'm talking about. I do indeed. And uh, he was going to be the blue leader, but due to circumstances beyond his control, he kind of misjudged timing and was packing, moving, and unpacking uh, right when we were getting getting going with this. So he ended up you know, just not participating at all. So I threw Dave to the wolves on that one. <laughs> if you thought you were in the you were on the deep end, Nick, then uh, Dave was even deeper. Yeah. So it started out uh, probably that first two days where I was just the division divisional commander screening the river, the entire length of the river, and so my command was spread out over what what was the area of operations probably about. 20 miles wide yeah about 20 miles wide and then i got a message that said my commanding officer was taken ill and um that he was placing me in um overall control of the of the core and like nick said communication was the biggest problem because all of a sudden we had a the the center the center division which was where I was hoping to run our communications through as the plan started forming, um, wasn't there. And uh, so me and Chris had almost burst-like communication where we would communicate for a little bit while we had access to telegraphs. And then it was, we were pretty much running blind. So we we, we developed our plan and then set it in motion and I was trying to get runners and telegraph lines set up as we were fighting in the pass and over by, uh, Oh God, what was the name of that town? Um, what was it? Long tree tavern or whatever. Cherry tree tavern. So cherry tree tavern. So yeah, communications in the ACW sucked <laughs> in the discord at least. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, they, they were not great in, in the real ACW, so. Right. So. Yeah, yeah it the, was challenging. Uh, yeah, well, certainly. I mean, you had you had runners, you had, well, the Reds actually had a uh, had a uh, wigwag station set up on one of the mountains. And oh, nice. They were, sending, they were sending messages by wigwag back to their divisional headquarters. And uh, that was... That, that was pretty interesting. Uh, there are there have been some techniques uh, for for Morse. So, for example, in the did you ever get any uh, Morse code signals, Dave, in the in the um, in the coin game in the counterinsurgency game? Yes, I did. Oh, that was frustrating as hell. <laughs> so, oh, you're not a, you're not a kidding. Yeah. So uh, to it's get a little secret. Yeah, Nick Nick Skinner would would send little bits of Morse code to the players as messages, and I, I was tempted once, I was tempted once to, in character, speak to my communications officer, being Nick Skinner. If if I have to do your job for you, then what do I have you for? But <laughs> I thought that would just end up with me getting getting punished with, with more Morse code, but. No, I, I definitely wanted to make it as user friendly as I could, without uh, 
I wanted to keep the flavor without drowning people in it, if that makes sense. So, things, you know, things just worked the way they were supposed to without much in the way of heavy lifting on the player's part. So, like, you know, for example, I wasn't going to do the Morse code bit. You know, even though that's how Telegraph works, I mean, you've got a Telegraph operator for a reason. And I wanted to, I wanted to keep things relatively simple for y'all so you could worry about where your units were going and what they were going to do when they got there instead of, you know, the, you know, planning down to the NAS ass detail and just making sure every, you know, everything was going to work with certain exceptions. Everything was going to work the way it was supposed to. So one of the biggest challenges for a GM or umpire is actually getting the Discord server set up. Um, now, Nick, had you used Discord before? No, this was my first time. Um, I found it similar enough to Slack that I was able to slide into it, I think, without too much trouble. Yeah, Slack's another, another system that you could do something like this on. I don't think it has, quite has the features that Discord does, plus... I think you actually have to pay for Slack if you're gonna if you're actually gonna set up your own server, whereas Discord is free of charge. For now anyway. I don't know if there are plans to change that. Um, now there's there are other systems for online uh, communication gaming, like Roll Twenty is a popular one. It's got some features that Discord doesn't. Um, what what did you think? I mean, aside from just being able to get into it because it was so similar to Slack, what'd you what'd you think of the ability to have those different rooms set up i liked it i thought it was worked well for um for for the for the purpose that we had it um yeah i i do find it i understand how it's a little more functional uh for for what we were using it for than than slack would be um but no i just i I hate um obviously we all hate games where the mechanic becomes so troublesome that it distracts from the story and i never i never you know the narrative i i never felt like uh that that it got in the way i was always able to be fully engaged with my um with my commanders and with my um and with my hire i would agree with all of that discord like pretty much every other online program it's got a bit of a learning curve but it's relatively intuitive and once you they've got great instructional videos and articles on their website so if you're willing to put in a little bit of time it's you're good to go i think it's a it's definitely a great service i can't recommend it enough i think one of the challenges as a first time discord umpire was figuring out how to for me a a big challenge was just getting everything to work so getting the different rooms set up and figuring out how that was going to work that definitely took some time to figure out, but it wasn't it wasn't onerous by any means. Um, it is relatively simple. Just you know, just like with anything else, you got to figure out the syntax of that particular system, and then you go from there. Uh, one of the things that I did to keep things somewhat simple uh, was each division had its own HQ where I would give direct messages to each player 
and then there would be a core headquarters where the core where the core player hung out, but then also had a general headquarters where during the planning process, during the planning phases, the different the various players could congregate and quote unquote speak to each other. Now one thing about Discord that's interesting it has both text chat and voice chat options. And I was I was ready for guys to go ahead and, and ask for a voice chat channel to be set up, but no one no one took advantage of that. But uh, maybe for a future game, you guys might want to do that. We definitely use the voice chat in the Airborne game. Um, we had a couple planning conferences, and that was really helpful. Uh, speaking to that a little bit, I, for a second, thought about asking for a voice channel where I could talk mm-hmm. with Chris. But then I, I realized we were kind of set in the ACW, and I wasn't sure if since we hadn't given an order for all divisional commanders to report to head, higher headquarters, mm-hmm. if we could actually open a voice channel. So I just left it. Well, next, next time we run one, you, you know, that that's a possibility. Okay. Although you said you want to help run, run the next one. So you, you might be the one setting up the, the voice channel. There you go. So, well, I think we could probably talk a little bit more about the game. Um, either one of you guys want to kind of discuss the situation, the starting situation from, from your perspective? Nick, go ahead. Of course, Red will go first, as always, gentlemen. Um, <laughs> so my orders were very simple and clear from the beginning. Uh, the president of the Red Republic uh, ordered me to prevent an invasion of uh, across the river by Blue forces um i uh so i arrayed my guys let's see i had my first division on uh my west side i had the second division in the east their line of kind of the divided their areas of responsibility was the road um between georgetown and uh adair courthouse um I initially had the third division way up by what's the name of that town, Johansson, and I thought that was just too far if I needed to employ them quickly. So I initially issued orders for them to move down and encamp just below uh, Georgetown, where I had my corps headquarters and trains. Um, initial orders to my guys were exactly what I mentioned a few minutes ago. I, I needed to know. I knew where the bridges were. Um, I was prepared to blow them, um, before I found out I didn't have enough explosives <laughs> to do so. Um, and then, so we, uh, we then started to, uh, explore some other options, um, to drop the bridges if we needed to. Um, and then I also had, uh, asked my guys to probe the river to see where the forward locations were. Um, it pretty quickly became clear to me that, well... As far as I ever understood before Index, the river was just too porous. Um, so I asked uh, I asked the guys to do as much as they could for area denial at forward locations, um, and then and then just to keep them under observation. Uh, I toyed briefly with some crazy ideas about trying to flood the river to make it impassable and some other some other schemes, but um, none of those ever ended up really um 
sounding too uh, uh, feasible for me. Um, so I just had my third division at the beginning of uh, you know the action. I had my third division, like I said, camped south of Georgetown, and then division one on the west, division two on the east, and they were um, given free reign to basically uh, secure the river um, as much as they could. I didn't at any point really expect that I could completely prevent a river crossing. So what I was trying to do was shape events so that when Blue did cross the river, I would be able to um, protect the cities. So that's where we were initially. Yeah, I, I should note I will have a map up on on the internet, and I'll have the link in the in the show notes once once I publish. So, um, Dave, your initial your initial thoughts or your initial situation was so. So our initial situation was um, blue forces were to open a new front against the Red Army, um, a lot that we were going to call it the uh, Central Amethyst Front. And we had, let's see, I'm pulling up the map right now, sorry. So my division was screening the river and then the other two divisions were way back down towards uh, the capital city of that province. And then um, uh, there was a training depot. So initially we had to move um, Chris's division up to the river at Cyanusport and then get second division moving north as well while I consolidated my division and we, we also probed the river trying to find crossing points, figured out it was pretty affordable pretty much everywhere. Um, and the plan that Chris and I came up with was somewhat of a pincher movement with my division moving all the way to the western side of the map and crossing at a ford over on the extreme western end while he crossed at Cyanusport. And then we were going to use 2nd Division as a... Uh, as a um, mobile reserve to reinforce wherever the enemy seemed weakest. So it sounds good on paper, <laughs> but um, yeah, they had people freaking everywhere. Yeah. It, it so. should be noted that there were, there were a total of four places where the river was fordable. Um, and I think you guys actually scouted out all four of them. Um, the, the two Ford sites on the far west and far east, um, the Blues actually ended up using. And uh, what, what was interesting, well, actually, before we get in, into all that and actually working through work to your crossings and all the rest, um, now, we started out, I had originally intended for this thing to go about a week, but the startup was a little bit slower than I wanted, and things weren't quite ready, so we pushed it out a week. So y'all ended up having about a week and a half to prepare and get stuff rolling. How, what did you guys do during, during, those week, during that week and a half? Uh, so um, I, uh, I did a few things. I, um, I tried, like the devil, to... 
I just really wanted to drop those bridges, you know, or flood the river. So I kind of, I kind of threw good money after bad for a little while doing that. Um, I sent scouting parties to various mines and quarries to, to requisition any civilian explosives that they had. It didn't really end up being um, being very fruitful. Um, we um, we discussed uh, various administrative. Um, considerations like uh, location of a um, internment facility, uh, location of the combat trains, um, the hospital, main hospital for core where it would be. Um, I've always been a pretty, I mean, my I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bomb technician. We, we our, our whole thing is you, you ask everyone on your team what their opinion is and then you know, it's, it's not a, it's kind of encouraged in my community. So, um, I tried to ask the guys what they thought as much as possible. And if they came up with a suggestion, even if it wasn't, um, something that I'd intended, I mean, unless it, uh, if I felt it would expose us, um, unnecessarily, then I, I pretty much just let them run with it. Um, uh, I also did a, uh, I didn't think it would end up being successful, but I, you know, um, my orders are, to use any any and all means to prevent um, an invasion, so uh, just just kind of throwing whatever um, and, and seeing what would stick. I actually tried to get a message to the blue commander um, for him to meet with me at some point along the river, uh, so we could sit down and, and um, you know maybe maybe come to some sort of understanding. I didn't really think that that would work, but uh, my hope was that the command the blue commander would waste a bunch of time on it. So. <laughs> Um, and give us, you know, uh, a time advantage. Did it throw you off at all when I responded that I'd be willing to meet? Uh, yeah, I, I really didn't think you would. Um, so that was, and I was, I was prepared to do so. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a ruse. I was going to meet with you if you wanted to, but, um, I didn't, I didn't expect you to accept. So that was a surprise to me. Um, yeah, that was definitely a ruse on my part, accepting that invitation because... <laughs> I actually bumped up our plan a little bit and we were going to go across at least eight hours before that meeting was supposed to take place. So, okay. Yeah. Well, about that. <laughs> no, 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 that's, um, and then my guys did, uh, various scouting on their own recognizance about, or on their own authority. Um, they scouted, a uh, what they thought would be a defensible hilltop location about halfway between the river and Georgetown where the road kind of makes a little loop. Um, around a hill, uh, and one of the one of my division commanders found that and uh, figured out it would be a good defensible position. So my plan initially was, uh, depending on how long the actual action phase went, I was going to move third division up and um, basically have it prepare that um, hill uh, for occupation and for defense of the of the surrounding area and Georgetown. Uh, my guys over on the west were absolutely positive you were going to come across over there. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was wishful thinking that turned out, you know, turned out being right on their part, or um, I, I don't remember exactly the chronology if they actually observed your troop movement or not. But um, they were just bound to determine that you were going to come over over there. Um, so that was interesting to me. And then, uh, and then, um, yeah, that's about it. We got into some discussions about where commanders should be if I wanted the division commanders back with me and I said no I was coming forward anyway 
Um, so stay with, stay with your guys. And then we were prepared pretty much to fold first division in the West back as you advanced and, uh, fall back towards Georgetown. Um, and just basically attrit you as you swung East and, uh, hopefully grind you up by the time you reach that hill in the Georgetown road. Yeah. On the West, on the West flank, the, uh, coming up through the mountain pass, I don't remember if. I had any reports of scouts of you guys is over that direction. I know I had my cavalry screening, screening the river pretty heavily in hopes of preventing that. My whole plan was, well, so like I said, there were some communication issues between me and Chris. Um, and once our plan was pretty much set in motion, uh, we didn't have any comms. So he was supposed to attack through Cyanusport up to Cherry Tree Tavern. Whereas I was coming with my with first division up to the, through that that uh, saddle, um, and then second division was actually parked at Labrador in preparation to where either I could move them across near Beverly and flank whoever was standing against me in the saddle, or if there wasn't much resistance over towards Chris, they could move laterally and try and support him, depending on who encountered the worst resistance so i had an entire division just sitting there not doing anything the, pretty much the entire game which is a little frustrating because i was not expecting the indexes when when it came at all but yeah i figured i also had a, a, f a few more hours yeah yeah that was uh I might not have communicated that effectively. Um, I, I Well, obviously I didn't if you guys thought it was going to go longer. I was looking at right at three hours for the finale, and we were we were coming up pretty close to three hours right when when I called it. So, um, yeah, I, I would definitely be interested in a, in a longer finale in the future. It, it was doing the umpiring the finale is something I want to talk about a little bit more here in a little bit, but um, what were, before we get there though, what were some of the, I guess I, I, how do I want to put this? What were some of the ups and what were some of the downs? What were, you know, what would you like to see again in a future preach bill? And what do you think could be improved upon? It was a great, from my perspective, it was a great experience all the way around. Um, it really highlighted just how important communication is in warfare. Mm -hmm. um, as far as downs, I mean, it is a time a time sink almost. So you've got to be able to or have the time to put into it to to get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. But I think playing across multiple weeks, um, and then trying to coordinate getting everybody together for a finale, I think that works well. Um, there really wasn't a downside for me other than having one player drop out and have a bunch <laughs> of stuff dumped on me real quick, but it was fun. Definitely a challenge. Yeah. Nick. So from my perspective, uh, I just, uh, yeah, I just, it, it, we were good. We were beating it to death, but I, I just can't say enough about how much I, I kind of learned about myself when I couldn't communicate immediately with my leaders in the field. Um, 
so that's I mean I found it uh, uh, difficult but I, I mean I wouldn't I'm, that's not a negative by any stretch that's that's a positive that's that um, forcing you to I mean, you say you had a spreadsheet I actually would when I would send riders to my division commanders if I didn't have a telegraph nearby I would actually look at the distance on the map uh, and do the and do the math and do the math because I know in my head how far I can ride in like an hour you know um, back when I used to ride I don't ride anymore really but um so and then you know distances and hills and valleys and you know they they're having to cross rivers internally as well so um, there was that I thought that was a positive um, negatives uh, yeah no I don't know um, I think I probably could have been a little more uh, taking a little more initiative. You kind of had to kick me in the butt right away um, when I first um, when we first started because uh, I hadn't really given the guys a um, in the army we call it command philosophy, you know. But it's the it's the hey here's how this is here's how this unit's going to run. Um, the the you know the George Clooney speech from Thin Red Line where he is introducing himself to the unit, you know, I, and so I just put together something real quick. It wasn't super elaborate. It was just basically explaining to them what I, you know, what I've outlined uh, earlier here. I at maximum initiative, and I'll underwrite any risks you want to take. Just communicate often and early, um, and then have fun out there, you know. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. But other than negative, yeah, yeah. The, the mechanics were fine. Uh, we've discussed how Discord went, went well, and. Um, I don't think that there was anything in the gameplay or the story um, or anything that the umpires did that took away from the experience. It was good. It was a good learning experience. I appreciate that. Now, I do have to say that your introduction to the guys was, was really, was really good. You had the advantage in that two of your subordinates have played games together for some time because they're both in the J3 group. Um, Joel and, and Eric. Uh, Andrew's a, a... I've only met Andrew in person like once and I haven't played any games with him, but... Uh, so he was kind of the outlier and actually he ended up not doing much. He was your guy that you had basically in reserve. And um, I, I like the command philosophy speech in quotation marks that you gave. It, it really helped kind of encapsulate what it is that you wanted to see and I, I think something like that is necessary in a game like this especially when you're dealing with folks that you've you know never met in real life let alone interacted with online you know so I think that was a definitely something to put in the playbook for future whenever someone else takes over um, when we do another one of these Nick would you want to be in charge or would you want to be a subordinate um, I thought for, for most of it that I didn't want to be in charge if we, if we did this again, but I mean, I think it, I think it ended up working out well. I wouldn't mind, um, you know, if, if, if my, uh, if my superior gets consumption or whatever, like Blue did next time, <laughs> I mean, if, uh, if, uh, if I need to step in, I, I think I'll be comfortable doing so. Okay. Yeah. I really liked how, um, well, Dave, you really haven't, I mean, you were paired with Chris, with Chris Copeland. You didn't really have much interaction with Chris, except at, 
uh, recruits prior, correct? Correct. Yeah, I mean, even uh, though you both are in the Kansas City area, it's not like you guys game together. Not yet. I'll hopefully change that at some point. Yeah. Once this COVID crap's done. I will say this. I, I've been harping on the fact that we didn't have very much communication. When we did have communication, we were pretty much on the same page. We came up with a, a, a what I felt was a relatively solid plan, and then we executed. And I had no no doubts that his division would do what they were supposed to do. Um, having been thrown into the C or the CC position. I did not do a commander's intent at all. <laughs> um, we kind of went ad hoc at that point, mm-hmm. flying by the seat of our pants. So, um, for for being in that situation, I think it went as well as it could. Yeah. Well, one so. thing I I think. One thing I'd like to do better next time is I, I want to do more preparation ahead of time in that the map that I produced was pretty rudimentary. I'd like to have a nicer map. Um, you know, Eric is, you know, is a, literally a map maker by trade. So I think what I will do in the future is he's a, um, he's actually pretty high up in the, uh, in a state agency here in Illinois involved with uh, land projects. And so he he does maps as part of his trade and as part of his profession, and uh, he does a great job with them. So I'm on the next Creech Bill, I may end up having a, a team of, uh, of umpires, and, and Eric might be a part of that just for, for his map production capacity but uh, I'd like to have a, a nicer map I'd like to put more thought into the map um, in the future I would like to continue this setting maybe not in the same area but a fictionalized civil war in the mid 19th century between you know two sides of a, of a former union or a former conglomerate whatever term you want to use I, I, I want to continue one thing I should mention is I had a lot of fun coming up with the different state names because, you know, we, if we're doing a fictionalized country, we can't have the real state. So um, let me go back into the server real quick and find some of the, uh, some of the different uh, states I had were like uh, Columbiana, and then there was a West Columbiana on the opposite side, for example, um, a Mixus. Let's see. There, here we go. Just to pull up one of the orders of battle for one of the. Uh... Okay, so there were some of the states were uh, New Guernsey, New Albion, uh, Livalac, Sacagumi. Uh, so just just by example, basically what I what I did is I took I took a look at how American states are named, and kind of either use that as a pattern. You know, obviously, you know, New Guernsey, New Albion, I mean, those are different, different British place names and just tack new on the, on the beginning. And there you go. Right. Uh, so 
you know, it, it was a lot of fun coming up with that. You know, we've got uh, different unit. You know, different brigades are you know commanded by you know folks with different last names that folks might remember or recognize. For example, the uh, for the Blue Republic, the first division, first brigade commander, his last name is Hyde. You know, list my listeners will definitely recognize that name. For example, and there are some others. Um, so I had a lot of fun coming up with that. Some of the different divisions had had their own nicknames for the division. For example, uh, second division for the Blue Republic was the Lake Division because a number of their uh, number of their units come from an area that has enormous lakes. <laughs> so, you know, basically imagine division in the civil, in our civil war made up of mostly Wisconsin and Michigan units and that's basically what we're looking at so I call before you get too far afield from uh, maps can I can I just say uh, yeah my guys uh, every couple of hours they would share a new map with uh, me and the rest of the red um, team and mm-hmm. I, I spent my whole time I spent the whole time we were playing wondering if Blue was getting similar awesome updated maps regularly like I was because I felt that a it made it more fun for me because I'm a I'm kind of a cartography nerd um, but also I, I felt like I had a really clear understanding as much as I could um, of ground truth I, I just I really wondered if my counterpart on the blue side had access to anything like that and I was, I was um, happy that I had it. I did not. Um, that basically, was all Eric. Yeah. Hey, yeah. That, was, yeah. that was all Eric's doing. Yeah, de- well, definitely, yeah. I mean, it's, it's seriously, like, every two hours some days, he would put a new map up. It got That's to the point. My, my downloads folder on my laptop has, uh, I, I made a new folder just for his maps because I was downloading so many of them. And it was great. It was fun. It was, and, and it really added to, um, really added my understanding of the situation. Nice. Um, honestly, so the way I've done every Kriegspiel I've done on Discord, I will always try and print off my area of responsibility, the map or the maps for my area of responsibility. And then I actually made almost like old school Kriegspiel blocks out of uh, wooden dowels, square dowels. And mm-hmm. I, I would lay out on my table the map and then I would have the, the, the blocks where the reported position was of the units. So I did that with this, the entire map. I had Chris's guys on there. I wish I would have taken a picture of it, but I had Chris's guys over by Cyanusport. I had my guys up by the saddle. I had red blocks where I thought the enemy was. And then, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I wish I would have taken some pictures. I, I did something similar, only mine was hanging on my uh, living room um, wall. How'd your wife feel about that? <laughs> she has learned to tolerate my eccentricities. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the maps, the maps in a thing like this. If if you Nick, if you ever get a chance to take a look, and I, I might download some of the maps that um, the Lardies produce for their games. Their their maps are exquisite. Um, since the two Lardy games I've played in were set in World War II, um, they go out and find World War II era maps and change a few things. You know, they'll change some place names. They'll change some, 
they'll add a few things, that sort of thing. But they are very well produced, and they look very, they look very good to the point where I mean, they're they've got the military grid reference system information on them. So if you print them at the right scale and you use a protractor, you, I mean, you're you're doing it real style, and I mean, we're in in those games we're sending you know six digit grids to each other to to discuss where things are, you know. Hey, nice. Dad. Nice. So I was tempted to do something like that. And I think in this imaginary alternate reality, um, I think someone's going to come up with a grid reference system for the maps in, in the future. Uh, in fact, that might be happening right now. So yeah, maps are going to be, are definitely going to be on my list to improve for next time. Uh, in, in that regard, because it's going to take a lot of the confusion out. And also, if you can find a period map that's about what you're wanting to do and, you know, lay a lay a grid over it and change some of the place names, I think that'll that'll add to the feel as well. Because my, my map looks like it was made in, in a modern, you know, looks like it was made in a modern image manipulation software and, and it was so yeah uh another so, thing go ahead uh, go ahead Dave. well i had a question yeah. so you detailed down to like regimental size and brigade sizes and like mm -hmm. numbers of men and whatnot if we if the two opposing sides would have had let's say all three all of their divisions meeting at one spot mm -hmm. were you were you thinking about blowing up a section of the bigger map and then actually playing out a Kriegspiel battle? Probably not. A lot of that, if it had gotten to that point, a lot of that would have been abstracted. Oh, okay. um, basically, the way the way that we were adjudicating combat where there was combat is in 25-man blocks. Oh, okay. So there'd be a die roll for for every twenty five men, and we'd probably expand that out further in the future. Um, the way we were doing artillery was a little too lethal, and and what one let me step back. Another improvement I want to make is when we once we do get those initial orders for the finale, um, kind of figure out how far each side could go before they bump into each other. And then once they do bump into each other, figure out whether or not they're going to invest themselves in, in combat, or if they're going to try to, uh, try to get around each other or bounce. And if so, what, what the commander on the ground is likely going to do and play that out a little bit. So a lot of that is pre-programmed. And so we just have to drop messages into the appropriate player at the appropriate time. And, that would take a lot of the stress out. We probably could have done more in those three hours, but Chris and I were down in the weeds adjudicating stuff that we should have adjudicated, you know, the night before and just had pre-programmed responses ready to go at the appropriate time, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, if, if you talk to Nick or Rich from the Lardies, um, they always say the hardest job in – any of these creek spills is as an umpire. So yeah, I appreciate um, what you guys did. 
Yeah, I, I was lucky. I'm, I'm glad that we had the number of guys that we did because we had six players. I, I was comfortable with six players. I can't imagine doing – because I think they had like nine or 12 players aside in that 1918 game that just that just concluded, right? Uh, I believe we had a grand total of about 27 players. Yeah, that's that's insane. Oh, it that's was. Insane. <laughs> but then again, maybe I'd be up for that once I get once I get to the eighth. So, all right. Um, I think I think the maps in the in doing a better job in the adjudication are definitely something I'd I'd like to see. Um, not that it would necessarily not not that it would necessarily be an improvement, but is there something that you guys would like to see in a future game, whether it's set in our fictionalized civil war or a, a different setting or some other aspect of the war that you'd like to see man i just wanted to blow up some bridges broke my heart <laughs> <laughs> spoken like a bomb tech <laughs> <laughs> nothing can't be uh no problem can't be solved with the without the or how's that saying go Jeez. proper application of high explosives yep that one <laughs> Uh, for, for me, I think the whole Kriegspiel game system and idea is fascinating. Mm -hmm. I, um, this was the third, no wait, this was the second one I've taken part in. I'm now involved in two or have been involved in two others. Um, I think it could probably be used for every period um as far as this one went i think it went great i don't think there's anything that could have been added to it i thought the maps were good um going forward i think it'll just all build on itself as everybody gets more experience with the system and the, and and whatnot um it'll just be a lot of fun i don't know if there's a lot of improvements that i i, I would make or mm -hmm. could make so. Well, is there I, I de one thing I definitely would like to do, and this is something that I, I didn't expect seeing is nobody asked for for gunboat support. That was an option. All you had to do was ask. <laughs> I didn't think the river was deep enough. Um, nobody asked for gunboat support. And nobody asked for, uh, and nobody asked for bridging support. I think I requested a balloon at one point, didn't I? Or I, or I at least uh, thought about it. You may have. You may have. I, I don't recall at the moment, but yeah. Um, yeah, that might be, that, that could be a whole fun thing in itself, you know, have balloons and see, you know, maybe they could have some balloon on balloon combat or something like that. <laughs> God, we're stretching into steampunk territory now. Well, you never know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I did ask for engineers to be ready to potentially bridge the river near Beverly Heights if we had to because I, I do know that they took out at least 20 feet worth or 20 feet worth of bridge yeah yeah, <sighs> yeah that, that was that was some ingenuity on on one of the red players parts where and, and I tried to report to you guys that you know the, there was a sound of you know 
late at night there was sounds of axes on wood and i was hoping to get some some activity out of out of the blues on that but no one no one rose the occasion and they okay you wake up and there's 20 feet of bridge missing i was really hmm. proud of that yeah uh My and crickets it, must have been sleeping at their post yeah i i reported that up i guess i guess that didn't get to you but yeah the uh the the rolling for that went extremely well. Basically, if there's a decision to be made, I kind of figure out what the most likely outcome is if there's success. And rolling a twelve is the best possible outcome, and rolling a two is the worst possible outcome. And on that one, I think I rolled an eleven. So I figured that not only had they taken down a you know large section of the bridge, but the engineers that were in charge of the operation figured hey if we can save these uh we can save the this this timber and because it was the railroad bridge actually um you know we can save we can save these timbers and these rails and make barricades out of them so that's exactly what they did they they salvaged the materials and made barricades on the far side of the river or their their side of the river so I, that's one of the fun things as an umpire is coming up with, you know, what is a plausible best case scenario, you know, for when you roll that, those box cars or get close to box cars. So now that you talk about that, I do remember you, you mentioning you hear axes in the middle of the night. And this just goes to show all the stuff you have to think about in this game. I was thinking they were building like, defensive positions or I wasn't even thinking about the bridge. Mm -hmm. Huh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another thing I want to do in future games is um, develop some more site, some develop some more subplots for, you know, as threads to follow. Um, I tried it with the blue side talking about the, uh, you know, with the, uh, how do I want to put this? It was the, the troopers getting in trouble in bars and whatnot in the towns. Um, based on your reaction to it, I was going to see if that could maybe turn into not quite an insurgency, but definitely some civil unrest. And that didn't quite develop because you guys took a, a harsh tone with the troops, but not with the civilians. So that you know, I, I really couldn't, you know, I, I tried ginning up some, some civil unrest, but that didn't quite work out. Having played in one counterinsurgency game, I'm really glad that didn't happen. <laughs> and, I mean, I think having played in, that, in, in the Lardy's counterinsurgency game and then seeing what was happening that you were doing with, with all that, I had a little bit of a suspicion and having been overseas and dealt with that in real life, I, I didn't want any part of that. So we were going to shut that down quick. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, uh, Nick, the, the blues were having a problem with, uh, townies getting into it with soldiers in, in bars and dance halls and whatnot. So doesn't surprise me. Those filthy blues are not gentlemen. <laughs> So, and then your, your uh, attempts at getting explosives kind of turned into 
somewhat of a, a sub game in and of itself with me having to think, okay, well, he's wanting to look at mines. What would realistically have happened to the mines? And um, I, depending on the on what was being mined, I guess they they could have been going on. But I just wrote it as the the mines were, you know, all the miners had basically been drafted and they were scattered to the to the four winds. I was hoping that someone would pick up on the mines being there in Columbiana, but, you know, you had a number of Columbiana units, and I was hoping someone, I think someone did say, hey, why don't we figure out what unit those miners went to for, you know, for their expertise, but I don't think that got pursued aggressively enough. You yeah, no, that? I don't think so. I think that was one of your, I think that might have been Eric talking to Joel. As like I do remember player. them talking about that now, and I just didn't. I just didn't put the threads together. Yeah, so I, I was hoping you guys would follow along with that, but you know, it, it's subplots and you know minor threads like that that I think will really add flavor to the game and in the future and give opportunities for a little bit more than okay, we've got our defensive position in place now. What you know? I think that's important too, um, because um, I mean, you need those. I think to keep people involved, you know, um, there was a, I forget if it was war on the rocks or horns of a dilemma episode. I forget which one of them, but they had a recent episode where they talked about war gamers and brought in, um, people who run war games for DOD from Rand and, and a couple of other places. But, um, they, there was one point in the discussion that they had where they were talking about, you've got a lot of commanders at high levels for some reason in DOD that they don't want any story. They don't want a, a side plots, subplots. They don't want, I mean, as bare bones as possible. And um, kind of all the guests on that show were, 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 I mean, yeah, okay, we're not here for fun. This is a, this is, we're, we're learning, you know, mission command and all of this stuff, but also like, there's no reason for it to be boring and spreadsheety, you know? So, right. Um, I thought that was an important part, and it made it fun for me. Well, in throwing those subplots and whatnot into the game, those are potential challenges that co that commanders could face in real life. So it only makes sense. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 it's not so much. I mean, to a certain degree, it is to. It is to. I hate to use this word, but it is to simulate the fact that, you know, anything can happen. But at the same time, you know, warfare or operations other than war, to use a late 20th century term, those don't happen in a vacuum. You know, there's, you know, there's always, you know, that's that's why we have the C in MET-TC, for example, you know, the civil considerations. I mean, that's why we talk about things like A-scope and permissipitous, you know, however you want to pronounce pronounce that you know the uh the uh, uh operating environment uh what's the term i'm looking for it's the uh it's not the fundamentals it's the uh aspects of the operational environment you know uh you know we're supposed to include that sort of thing in in our training and as, as a as a member of a schoolhouse, it is something that we are graded on, where you know whether or not we are keeping up on 
our operational environment aspects of our training and this and discussing them concurrently with what we're with what you know with what we are instructing so it it surprises me but it doesn't surprise me that upper level leaders are choosing to ignore that um primarily because they came up i think it's because they probably came up or not probably they definitely came up in an era when you know it wasn't met tc it was just met you know and they've either given little or no consideration to the civil aspect you know the operational environment that sort of thing where you just have the red tokens and the blue tokens and you don't worry about orange for example you know so i, I can see where they're coming from with that uh nick is that your experience with senior leaders or are they coming around to looking at other aspects um so when i was at the staff college uh i i saw both um you, uh, your instructors there are all retired field grades and colonels and generals right so um yeah, very much uh, the, the um, how should I say, I guess the, the generational officers that, that we're talking about here, the guys that if they had stayed in would be two and three star generals now, you know, um, and, and leaders of these large formations and combatant commands. Uh, I, I mean, I saw it both, both ways. Um, you did see some guys that they didn't want any unapproved measles injects from white cell players that, you know, if, if, you, if you came up with something that they hadn't written into the scenario, I mean, and this is, you know, this is CASCOM and TRADOC, these things get written and they have to be approved years in advance, you know, so, I mean, I got that, but um, I just found that frustrating uh, when I was there, and for that reason, I absolutely hated wargaming portion of, of my staff college. Um, I just hated it. Uh, but there were there were some instructors that, yeah, you could, you could, because they were kind of the umpires, you know, you, you could come to them with something off the wall, and they would. I just think it depends on, maybe not even their age. Um, maybe it's just certain types of units that they were in. I don't know. Um, but mm -hmm. I think it's. Uh, I think it's not everywhere. Um, I work for Africom now, and I can tell you. The scenarios that I've seen it are very story driven, um, not story driven. That might not be the, the right term, but they don't. They're not antiseptic and without. They keep you involved, you know. So um, maybe it's generational, but also maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe it's just personality. <laughs> Individuals. Um, since we are since we are talking about advancing. Speaking of stories, since we are talking about advancing this particular story uh, into future games and future aspects. Um, what do you guys think of using the imaginary nations? Is, is, does that a problem for you? Does it take you out of the game? Is it a, is it a positive? Cause we get to politely sidestep some of the, oh, social, social ambiguities or some of the social problems that the, the actual combatants that we're modeling our war after had you know we don't have to worry about slavery we don't have to worry about draft riots we don't have to worry about any of the unfortunate aspects of the civil war the social aspects i should say um does that allow you to 
concentrate on what you're doing and not have to sit there wondering if you're the baddie? I mean, like Nick was just talking about, and well, we've been talking about all those, all the, all those things tie into making your players think, which is never a bad thing. Um, I like the imagination idea because it does allow a lot more freedom, um, and it can lead to some some very creative situations. Um, I'll be honest, if you would have thrown me a curveball about draft rights and some of my troops being up in arms about how their draft or conscription times were coming to an end, I don't really know what I would have done. That would have been an interesting problem to problem to fix. But yeah, steering away from stuff like slavery is probably a, a good thing. I don't I don't know how I would feel playing on the side of Confederacy, all the all the social aspects, kind of. It's an it's an interesting question, I guess. I don't, and, and until I'm actually in game and facing that question, I'm not sure how I would handle it. To be honest, I have to think about that a lot more. Yeah, it's like I I don't necessarily have a problem playing Germans in a game, but I won't play SS units. Agreed. Yeah, you can avoid a lot of that stuff if you use Pineland and Atropia and Tonino instead of, you know, <laughs> real, yeah. real places and people and names. Yeah, um, well, I I definitely, and like, you know, it, it does allow us to be a little bit more imaginative in what we bring into, into it. So, for example, you know, there, you know, there may be foreign intervention in a future creature wheel. You know, along this imaginary timeline that we've that we're starting, you know, and we may advance it in other ways as well. You know, I've already talked about one technological advance they didn't have. You know, by simply introducing a, a grid system, you know, a grid reference system to the to the maps. So, yeah, I mean, we'll have to take a look at all those things and see where where it goes in the future. Um, you know, maybe. Dave, with your experience with the Lardy's game you're in now with the naval, we might have a purely naval aspect in a future game. Um, that would you know, be cool. I, you know, I don't think I'm going to go so far as to make it a steampunk kind of thing where all of a sudden there's wild technology. Being, I mean, we've certainly got we've got room to grow. We've got definite other things we could do. You know, there's uh, I mean, we could take it far out west and have both sides, you know, trying to gain the the assistance of indigenous peoples, you know, and something along those lines. And maybe there's a third faction altogether. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, not to mention foreign intervention. So, I mean, there's definitely room for exploring different aspects of mid eight or mid nineteenth century warfare that we may not have had in our real or we did have but they're not looked at that's the beauty of imagination and imaginations yeah. is that you can just let creativity run wild you could turn it into whatever you wanted to mm -hmm. i think that's the appeal of it for me yeah so yeah i, I definitely don't think we're going to be turning around to do one of these right away but i definitely want to 
explore this again and maybe make it a, a semi-regular thing where we do one, you know, we, we crank one up every quarter or something like that, you know, for our, our merry band that we, that we have, so. You're looking down your nose at Steampunk, you said it a couple times, but I would play a Keddy J role-playing game. Oh, I'm not, I'm not looking down my nose at Steampunk. I definitely <laughs> would love to do a Steampunk thing. I'm just not sure it fits for this setting. No, I, I'm all of, I've, I've already got a backstory for a <laughs> for a Civil War era steampunk. Don't, don't that worry or, about that. That or uh, the Sons of Horus could land in Georgetown. <laughs> oh, good God. <laughs> well, I mean, and then if you really wanted to get crazy, you take one of those maps of the surface of like the moon or Mars or whatever, and you could do sci-fi. You can literally, literally do anything with Kriegspiel. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, Nick. Don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not I'm not looking down my nose at steampunk. I, I would definitely be interested in doing something like this, or doing something like that. I just would like to keep this particular setting a little bit more realistic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kicked around the idea. Okay, I'll go ahead and d- dive into it. I'll, I kicked around the idea of a civil war setting where a meteorite strikes Arkansas, northern Arkansas, and there is a you know, the, the meteorite is made out of some particular material that when added to, basically added to any material makes that material better. So the meteor strikes, the biggest deposit of this stuff is in Arkansas, but it's scattered all over the immediate area. So you've got deposits in Kentucky, you've got deposits in Missouri, you've got deposits in Tennessee, uh, some down in you know, a little bit in Mississippi and in Louisiana, a little bit in Texas. So the war gets influenced by it because they figure out, hey, if we add it to coal, you know, if we sprinkle in some with some coal, it makes the coal more efficient. So the steam engines are going are going faster, and not just trains, but also uh, steam powered uh, factories are 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 operating faster. But if we also add it to gunpowder, it makes gunpowder more powerful. And if we smelt it in with steel, it makes the steel stronger and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And to the point where that's, that is the, that is how the steampunk revolution begins with the introduction of this, of this material and the war. Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say 19th century Mordheim on a grand scale. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. 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 Uh, but you've got, you know, these these two nation states that are, you know, basically changing. They change their their castus belly into we got to control this material, and then, you know, th- that opens up the possibility. You know, what if something gets smuggled out, and all of a sudden the Brits have it, or the French, or the Russians, or whomever, and that, you know, yeah. So steampunk's definitely an option. I don't know if I want to do it just yet, but. Because then stuff gets weird, but <laughs> but that's okay if it gets weird because that's the whole point of steampunk is that it's weird. So, well, guys, any any final thoughts before we get back to our Sunday mornings and afternoons? Or um, not really. I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to doing many more crease spills. So. Thanks for inviting me and 
Yeah. No, you're very welcome. I'm glad you were able to take part, and I'm looking forward to doing more stuff. I would also like to expand this setting into into some miniature games as well. So that's that's oh, definitely I'm, a possibility. I'm in. I've got uh, six mil ACW forces on the painting table shortly. So I'm I'm looking at mine that I've started but haven't finished. So I'm I'm with you. And I've got a sizable order from Bacchus making its way across the pond as we speak. Sweet. Nick, final thoughts. Um. Yeah, not, not really. It was a good experience. I went, I frankly, went better than I thought it would for my first Screech Peel. Um, and I appreciate uh, being included. Um, and uh, next time I'll make sure we, we get to blow up some bridges. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the game then. That might be the whole game. I, I don't want to give too much away just yet, but that, that could be the next game then. Guns of Navarone. Yep. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, I think we've 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 about covered what we wanted to cover, and we'll definitely look forward to the next Creech Spiel. Um, those of you that are listening, if you're interested in participating in a veteran war game or Creech Spiel, let me know. Uh, shoot me a message on Twitter. Shoot me a message on Facebook. Send an email to theveteranwargamer at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see about integrating some more folks into these games, and we'll see how it goes. Awesome. On that note, as always, if the war game you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. The Better War Gamer is copyright J. Arnold 2020. Music courtesy of freemusicarchive.org.